Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the industry to discuss passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Mira, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the Sydney market. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Michael Schweda and Sudaka to discuss AI in the future of work. Before we dive into the topic, I'll get everyone to introduce themselves and provide some context. So if Michael, you wanted to kick things off for us, please. Thanks, Mira. I'm Michael Schmalke, Principal Consultant and Partner at Procoders. I have a degree in physics and my specialty was high temperature superconductivity. In Ukraine, I worked with speech processing specialists and created a prototype of a text-to-speech engine for the Ukrainian language. Uh, then in the 2000s, I worked in California integrating speech and natural language uh, engines for telecom startups. I co-authored patents for telecom software. Uh, I have been in consulting space for about eight years now, and I work with uh, startup and and delivering solutions primarily in fintech industry. Uh, I'm excited to discuss today's topic as it resonates with my passion for automation and process improvement. And uh, it also uh, resonates with my interest in high value and low cost systems. Over to you. Thank you. And Sheda, I'll get you to intro yourself as well. All right. Thanks, Mira. And and. Lovely to know you, Michael. I'm Shweta, Chapter Lead Delivery Practice in Endeavor Drinks Group. Uh, practice consists of close to 30 DLs who are working in varied projects and programs across the business. I'm personally very passionate about AI, data, machine learning, and I lead the delivery of personalized recommendation for the business for Endeavor Drinks Group via recommendation engine and other AI tools which are sitting beneath beneath business processes like email marketing, push notifications, SMS, some some personalized placements across web and app for Dan Murphy's app and BWS. So that's that's what we do as part of personalization and recommendation. Before getting into this space, I've, I've worked as a software engineer, I've worked as a quality engineer, played roles of process process consultant, played played a role of a BA and Scrum Master. And in fact, that was my latest role with Westpac. I was BA and Scrum Master for Westpac, working predominantly on, on the personalization of Westpac uh, app. That's that's pretty pretty much about what I do now and what, what was my latest role. Uh, before before Westpac, I worked with different other organizations like Laws, Huawei, Infosys, Capgemini, Shell. So these are the few organizations I've worked with in different roles, which I, which I just said. So that's me. Lovely. Back to you. Thank you so much. And Sudaka. Hey, I'm Sudaka Ramasamy. I have about uh, 23 years of experience in uh, the banking and the information technology. So my current role, the project director means it. I look after a number of projects. Uh, the main aim of the project is to improve the efficiency, automate the workflows, and bring uh, uh, and basically simplify the overall business process. So the projects that I run on uh, has a couple of technologies, uh, blockchain, machine learning, and AI, and the workflow tools. The, my role in the bank is to be able to identify the latest technologies and the trends, 
unscramble them and take the hype out of them and then put it put them to a practical use so i start up with an ideation phase i predominantly work with the business stakeholders understand what the technology has to offer and also understand the business context on how these technologies can be applied to a meaningful outcome and also understand how the outcome will be uh, delivered to the customers so it's an end to an ideation and delivery process and i quite enjoy about the benefits this new technologies can bring to the customers and to our internal staffs so the 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 joy of the my role is to be able to see the idea turn into the delivery in the hands of our people thanks adaka everyone's given some great context there so thanks thanks all for sharing um we'll jump into the topics that everyone's put forward so you've all put through um some great questions for today around ai and the future of work we'll start with um sadaka your first question which is around ai as trick in an experience transformation right from conversations to coding sales to service how will this be felt and received by our customers and staffs how will the dial move between skepticism and optimism i'll let you take it away yeah uh, so one of the interesting thing that we're experiencing now is uh, the new large language model i shouldn't say new large language model it's more of the chat gpt model that is coming up and uh, and the hype that always comes up with the new technology similar to what we had for blockchain 3 years back what we see is a very renowned interest in the technology and what it can potentially deliver to the business and as always there's a lot of hype around how this is going to change the whole world and how it's going to make jobs redundant how it is going to transform the business fundamentally so there's a lot of uh, jargons and words thrown around uh, what i really wanted to understand is how we are going to and how we are handling this how we are really seeing the value of the ai in the machine learning in the new context that we've got now and also how and what sort of uh, uh, what sort of stakeholders do we have and what is their mindset or how they are really looking at this ai based on the use cases that they have or the roles that they play so i'll start with one of the examples that i have got uh, so here when we are trying to talk about how this large language model can handle a large volume of unstructured data and be able to bring a productive outcome out of all this uh, data points that we never heard before or was not able to unearth before there is two sort of two sides of sentiments that's coming up predominantly one theme is skepticism a lot of people still don't believe that this is going to fundamentally change or they're worried that their jobs may not exist right so we are really talking about our developers and the testers as well as some of those process engineers who are worried that this ai could fundamentally take away the entire job profile and could automate it and including you know the scheduling assistants or the personal assistants and the executive assistants minutes takers and all of that so that's one sort of a sentiment the other extreme sort of sentiment is the high level of optimism that the ai can fix all problems right the business thinks tomorrow it'll all be done we won't have to do anything more all the manual jobs would be automated and all the reels and reels of product documentation process documentation will go away and somehow magically all of them will be coded if i may so um so i just i'm very curious to understand what sort of uh, sentiments is going around in your experience and uh, what do you think uh, the way forward is maybe i can jump into 
get it kick started so that's a very great question it's a great question that the way i'm thinking ai is like any other advancement any any other disruption in the technology you will always get two set of people one who would who would want to embrace who would want to explore learn and understand what what the new things are coming up and the they 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 would be ready explore and you know see what what efficiencies they can bring in and classic example when i started email marketing in danmarks it was a bunch of and i'm giving you the live example it was bunch of you know content creators and the marketing guys who used to design and send batch based emails so those guys are still there they were never they, they were they were never concerned that their jobs would go they they were the staff members who wanted to explore these new these new technologies and how it can improve the customer experience the voice of customer and definitely when when they they were part of their journey it was a beautiful blend between ai and the expertise which i got from the marketing guys so although people are cautious that that's true but they are ready to explore what what ai has to offer offer to them they want to really explore and this is definitely helping staff members because you know we are we are looking at two things how how is benefiting staff and how is benefiting customers so customers a very classic example is your chatbots right we never had chatbots in in the apps now you see a lot of chatbots and that has become an integrated requirement for any new feature which which you are building within app or within website how we can enable chatbot and enable customer queries in advance and how we can set up those knowledge bases in advance in instead of doing it you know more as a reactive base so i think it's 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 still a balance people out there do who want to explore but there are some concerns which which will delve a little bit later like you know risk to the data pii data and is is there any data breach how are we using customer data are we purchasing any customer data so there are some there is some a bit of spectacle concerns over there what what happens to data but when it comes to job security i think jobs are going to evolve that's that's what i see in in next 10 years and when i say 10 years 10 years could change to 2 years who knows but i see the jobs would evolve we would need more and more leaders and more and more people who would be able to embrace ai and make meaningful decisions and outcomes based on the insights which ai gives so that's what i feel perfect thanks veda and uh, michael uh, you are a more of a practitioner here on the yellow limbs they have been around for a while now and uh, uh, what what do you think about the latest wave of hype and what do you think is the the latest changes bringing in as a meaningful change yeah definitely uh, uh so with the latest uh, changes of large language models actually the uh, improvements we see now they are coming from invention of uh, uh transformers if i'm not mistaken so that is around 2017 uh, when transformers were invented and that uh sparked uh, this uh, wave of new language models that actually conversational and uh going back to your point so the card that it might not change anything so i i'm sure we already uh, seeing this change because uh we already have conversational models that can uh produce 
a machine readable uh, format like JSON or whatever data structure, structured data format out of uh, human conversation, which is immensely helpful for things like uh, customer support and uh, like retail products. So that this is one change that is definitely there. And then uh, again, uh, that all comes with a bit of a grain of salt because uh, where do we send in this data to at the moment? We have ChatGPT, that is the most uh, available accessible model. They have a nice API to integrate with you. So we send in them data and they promise not to use this data in wrong ways. So this is one skepticism that I guess uh, was to call out. And then once we move away from customer support and we start using uh, large language models in development process in, in build pipelines, we start using large language models for our requirements, for example. And then we're really in trouble if this data leaks somewhere because your ideas, your requirements can end up in, in the wrong hands. Uh, so this is one risk that uh, we should be really aware about. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, the takeaway is that we are definitely in this uh, situation where we're already uh, seeing the change, we're experiencing the change. It's more of uh, how can we uh, balance uh, these risks and what are, I guess, mitigations uh, to to these data issues because we are giving our data to uh, companies and we're also giving our data to uh, models that might have access. Apart from humans, we now have another actor that might have access to internet and use your data elsewhere. Thanks, Michael. I think that's, that's excellent. We had what we today in our business called uh, SME, subject matter experts, who are trained over a period of time and they are expert in the area that they represent. How do you see the large language models and these robo experts are going to change that landscape? You know, there, there could be a accountancy expert, there could be a legal expert, so currently we rely on people, but this one has the potential to learn the entire legal framework or the accountancy framework and sort of generate models that can remove the bottlenecks of those experts. Is that going to cause more skepticism or is it a more of an optimistic view from your end? Uh, I can address this, I guess. Uh, I've been... Uh research on this topic actually for a while so i guess i can uh, uh speak from myself as well as uh, from the point of uh, others wait yeah i understand are quite uh, optimistic actually in in industry uh, so uh, i guess one point is that okay we uh, we resolve this uh, issue with the uh, safety of our data and this can be done by running our in-house models and of course these models will be trained in our corporate data on i guess you can take your jira specific model on that and then what it means you have uh, better tools 
but you can't remove people from this uh, tool chain until and, and it's very hard to understand at what point we will be able to remove people from this tool chain because uh, as uh, someone said bluntly these models they lie so they can give you wrong information and it's going to be in written format it's going to be coming from this uh, very expensive tool and uh, there's going to be a high inclination to trust this information and this is the question for me is uh, uh, how can we verify that uh, whatever is produced by large language models is actually usable? So do we build another model that will validate this one? Uh, and we definitely need people to supervise the whole process. Yeah, I, I also agree. You, you know, you can <clears throat> you can rely on models only up until some to some extent. Eventually, the human element. I don't think it's it's going to go away so so on. So we've been practicing business, we've been practicing AI in some business processes. Are able to remove hundred percent humans from those business processes because there are niche situations, some unique scenarios models are yet to understand. I can uh, drop in another point uh, here because uh, uh, the uh, we we kind of skipped over the training data. And uh, that actually coming from people. And this is uh, actually one of the big points of uh, uh, how biased this model is. It, it's based on your training data. And people, we are humans, we are producing this training data. So I guess um, to, to address the, this, this question, what's, what's gonna, how role is going to change? Maybe you will be training models rather than operating as uh, analysts. Perfect. That's that's great. Thanks, Michael. I think we, we, when we are implementing a similar model as well, I think we faced a very similar issue. We are we were scanning a number of uh, invoices on multiple different languages. The complexity is each language has a different interpretation of what each text means, and the accuracy of the models interpreting those languages and understanding the context of those invoices and the values that are there in the invoices are quite different. So it takes a huge learning and retraining efforts constantly and a huge monitoring and the accuracy of the model also is quite quite varied. So probably for the time being, we can safely assume that uh, the humans are still going to be required to uh, to continuously monitor, train and retrain those models until that is a 100% accuracy that ever can be achieved. Definitely. And Michael, I know you had this question for the others, and it was with the incorporations of large language models such as ChatGPT into our daily processes, do you anticipate any changes in the delivery prioritization process in your tech teams? How do you plan to handle adjusting your team's deliverables while ensuring that the integration of large language models enhances rather than disrupts the current setup? Yeah, so probably I'll have a go at it. Um, so, in terms of the uh, delivery, Priority. We are so at least in in my experience, we are still in a lot of the experimentation stage when it comes to the latest ChatGPT uh, models. We are using large language models and machine learning, but that impacting the delivery timeline is not yet occurred. So we are looking at uh, the efficiency case and trying to really see how the developers and the testers can benefit from this new wave of uh, AI. 
while we are trying to find out how libraries can be automated, how coding can be automated, and how testing can be automated, they are all in various levels of experimentation. We haven't gone to a model where we can put that to a delivery and that be reducing the delivery timeline. In fact, with all this experimentation or the center of innovation that we have, it's sort of a bit of a disruption to the overall delivery rhythm that we already have because there is an expectation that we continue to innovate while also delivering our current priorities. So that could be a challenge to most of the tech teams because the stretch target is no more a stretch now. It's, it seems to be the implied target for innovating and implementing the AI models as part of the delivery rhythm. So the way that we are looking at this, how can we really have the center of innovation focusing on the ideas which can help the delivery faster separate to the actual delivery teams while sharing the learnings between these two teams will have to occur to make a meaningful experiment but we wanted to make sure that the delivery teams are quite discreet and not having too much of an overlap with their priorities on the AI. I think, I think in my world there are some little pockets where where delivery decisions are getting are, are getting changed slightly because we want to use NLP, we want to use AI in, in some of the situations. I'll give some examples, right? So I work in website and digital and app space. And whenever we talk about any new feature within app or within website, then we start to ask the question, what's our use case? Where do we want to implement AI? Which use case is eligible to have a personalized recommendation or which is an opportunity for cross-sell, which is an opportunity for upsell. How can data-driven insights enable these use cases? So we are already having those discussions that they are kind of integrated within our delivery process. And since they are integrated, we start to pre-think what kind of data needs we would have. What, what could be the project timeline look like? Is it, do we have any uh, any API or any any service which we can directly consume in other part of the business which can support the use case. So we are having these pockets of discussions to plan the overall delivery for any new features or any new enhancements where we think AI can be an enabler and AI can support the use case. So if, if, if that makes sense, yes, delivery is getting the direction of the delivery is, is getting slightly changed based, based on how do you want to address a particular business problem? What are your integration needs? What are your data needs? What the business outcomes you are expecting? So there's a bit of cadence which get impacted when we plan the delivery of those use cases. So this is something which I see already happening when, when you typically talk about project delivery. So, yeah. And I, I also think experimentation, prototyping, POCs, they are much faster these days than they were a few years ago before before we had machine learning capabilities, before we had AI. So now we can experiment very quickly. We can create a little POC. We could we could back test. We could we could assess how the scenario would work, how the data would work, and we can quickly see what the expected outcome would be and then pivot from there. If if our use case is supported by a particular model or by a particular hypothesis, let's do it. So that has become very fast. Previously, when you were delivering projects, you would have to launch it to production to realize the benefits. But now you've got so many things to experiment, learn and test.
I see few things are changing. And there are heaps of vendors and uh, heaps of opportunities for everybody to experiment compared to what it was before. You have to do it all yourself and learn. Now you can learn quickly from others' experiences. And there are lots of vendors who have experimented already with a number of models and publishing those results to us. So it's it's a great culture to be in. I see a follow-up question for Shweta. Uh, so do you see in your experience... Uh, Uh, the limitation of the uh, token limit uh, being a problem uh, at the moment with with your modeling and experimentation. Sorry, I, I don't think I understood the first half. Yeah, so with, with the, well, I, I guess uh, we are all using ChatGPT and in your practice you're already uh, implementing uh, processes that operate with ChatGPT. That we uh, currently we have models uh, publicly available for uh, that have eight uh, thousand uh, token limit. Uh, so quite this is quite a lot comparatively to what we had uh, earlier. But still, does this uh, does this um, imp- how, how do you how do you kind of work around this? Is uh, it, it's definitely limitation, but how you work uh, with this limitation? So with, with my experience, I haven't used any anything really outsourced. So whatever we've been using is predominantly in-house. We've got all in-house models and they are scaled as per as per the business needs. So we've got our pipelines and the capacity we need. Everything is managed and developed and designed in-house. So if, if I'm making sense. Yeah, yeah, super. Yeah, so that's... That kind of... I, I have uh, experimented with that and it is a, it is a major limitation. But I think uh, when we go for any of those uh, models, I think it is an inherent limitation. Right? Even I've experimented with some of the other vendors who are publishing these models. They have a similar limit, not a token limit, but a very similar limit on the documentation and the number of words or the uh, the pages that we scan and you know make sense out of it. So I think it is in a very early stages of innovation. So everything would be costly and very restrictive. And once this uh, travels down a bit, I hope that the limits gets uh, taken off and the cost gets cheaper. Currently, it's a bit, bit more expensive as well for the experimentation that we are doing. For the real life production usages, paying, paying money is okay. But even to, to get a model to a state where the business can see the value out of it, I still think it's a bit more expensive at this stage. So, so the car, uh, your models are also in-house models, correct? And they are, we are experimenting with OpenAI and the API that the OpenAI provides. It does, it's, uh, it is again in a early innovation phase where we are trying to see what models can be benefited. We are also trying to see how we can restrict it to the enterprise data that we have while seeing the benefits of the, uh, the internet search as well. Some good points there, Siddika. And actually just kind of moves on to the next question. I know, Michael, you put forward and we touched on it before around the risks, but with the adoption of AI technologies, especially chat, GVT can pose risks if implemented prematurely or without proper preparation. How do you identify these risks within your team structure? And additionally, what preventative measures or risk mitigation strategies do we all believe um, should be implemented by technology and business teams to manage these potential risks and ensure a smooth tra- transition while maximizing the benefits of AI tools? A big question there. So who, who wants to tackle it first? <laughs> Probably I can go first. 
And so they, there are a couple of risks. When we are building a business case, there are a few parameters that we put forward. One is what is the level of accuracy that is expected out of the model? And the second is how do we want to use the output of these models? If this is a high impact decisions or critical decisions, compliance or regulated related ones, then we tread cautiously there because we don't want this model to be, you know, making big decisions that that would end up with hefty fines for us. We also want to make sure that the processes that it automates are retrained and also there is a human assistance available to look at this. So in terms of the risk, we wanted to make sure that what is the value being delivered out of it and evaluating the risk of the output and then trying to assess whether we wanted to uh, really implement these models in our business process now or should we really be experimenting more and trying to perfect the model before we put it to use. And when you mean by the risk, are you looking at more of a code or a code generation or testing risk or are you looking at the business risk? Uh, that was my question and uh, actually across all areas and code generation I think is uh, at the moment at least it's it's uh, easier to mitigate uh, but uh, business risks may be a little bit trickier and uh, yeah so the question is actually I guess more focused on the uh, business risks. I think one thing which comes to my mind is the risk of over-engineering. So I always think, are we over-engineering the solutions to the problems or are we over-engineering or over-complicating the AI, which which may not be understood completely by whoever is whoever is trying to utilize the outcome of the AI. So that's that's one of the risks. And over-engineering also leads to over-cost. So that's another risk. So are we implementing something which is too costly? Because creating the model is not the end of the story, right? You have to train it, you have to maintain it, you have to monitor, improve accuracy and pivot the model based on the changing business environment, changing business needs. So are we spending a lot of money achieving an outcome which may not be, you know, matching to what, what you have spent in creating that ecosystem of AI and models. So that's the risk I would always be cautious about whenever I try to think about a new use case, which is driven by AI. So th these are these are few of the things. Okay. And in terms of the business risk, there are two important things that we are looking at with all the existing models. One is uh, the concept drift. The other one is the data drift. We see that the concept drift takes a little longer to trickle down and to be able to identify. But I think when it happens, I think uh, we really need to look at how much data need to be retrained and how, how we are really going to fine tune the model. And then the data drift, which constantly changes with the introduction of new applications and new data themes and new, uh, new projects coming in and delivering a different type of data. So the, so based on the outcome of the business risk and the nature of our, what we are trying to use, I think there is an inherent need for us to constantly monitor and fine-tune this model. Like any other application, I think there is a lot of uh, need to uh, handhold it for a while before we can, you know, really make things uh, better. And another thing is if, if the AI which is sitting under your business process, if that's premature, that means it, it's likely to gain biased results 
which may not be accurate so that's one of the important risk i, I wouldn't late so so if it's premature it's not trained enough then it's 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 going to give the outcomes which you are not expecting uh, and uh, shweta i think that that is uh what they say ethical part of the uh, ai implementation uh, do you see uh, ethical ai being used in conversations with your clients and uh, does this impact uh your approach at all so i am in kind of business where where ethic ethical and being conscious is is very important as is an integral process so i mean i mean liquor retail hotels business so we have to be very cautious around the ethics and how far we can go and what's allowed what's not allowed so whenever we try to depend heavily on ai so that's that's the consideration are, are we moving away from ethics anywhere so that is considered because i'm in that kind of business so, but i'm not sure how how it's practiced in other industries kind of speaking on that as well like you mentioned the the risks involved and how do we balance those so balancing ai b- between that and the business requirements and outcomes um i know shreddy you put forward this question if you wanted to kind of add a bit of context around that and start things off for there Yeah I think Sudhakar you briefly touched on one of the point which is data drift right so you know when when we come up with models they produce some outcome and business expectations are aligned to those previous outcomes but you know as and when the skewness comes the data drift happens the outcomes start to vary and and business is unable to cope up right so they have got their own uh, they've got got their own outcomes which they are they are after like they have some volume outcomes they have sales target and but now your models they have pivoted they've learned new things and what you were expecting as a business model has learned new things which you are yet to learn as a business so how how do you you know bring everyone to that speed and create that balance where businesses like models do their job and you know they may not be they may not be in in complete alignment with what the sales targets are or the volume targets are or the click rate targets are because models are constantly evolving there may be some new data feed there, there is a data drift but you know then i've seen this this is panic gets created how come this has changed the models never did that how come model is doing this so how how do we create that balance Oh, that's a, the models yeah that's a very very hard one um to to achieve in the actual business scenario the reason is there is always a mindset especially from the business side is that it's a set and forget once a model is implemented it's a set and forget nobody wants to touch it it's like one of your security cameras in the house or any of those uh, cars that you buy you wanted to research a lot when you're going to do it but once you've done it you just leave it there and expecting to perform and automatically improve its own performance over a period of time. Uh so we have a number of models which are built that way, built served that served the purpose great efficiency when we initially built it and the, with the with the data set that we trained on and over a period of time we saw that that's drifting the accuracy is dropping the new models are coming up in the market so we may have to really either reprogram the whole thing or you know uh, you know look at how can we really change the entire fundamental um, automation that we have done in a different way the different lens with the different 
technology set that we've got now. So it's it's a challenge. It is always a challenge to convince the business that we need to really upkeep the model or basically fundamentally change the models. We also have implemented a lot of automated monitoring and retraining process where an efficiency, if an efficiency or accuracy drifts below a particular level, the model try to really look for the new data and constantly retrain and keep up with it. So that we can handle the data drift through those automated learning process. But with the concept drift, it's a bit more harder to get it because the model is not going to recognize that the concept has changed. For example, you would have assumed that two parameters are not linked to each other previously. But now with the new meaning of the data that is coming in, these parameters might be linked. For example, sales versus uh, the uh, the marketing revenue is an example. Right? So we need to be able to really make the model understand that the things have changed. For that, first of all, we need to really understand the output of the model and be able to go back to the model and then revalidate our original assumption. So it is a, there's no silver bullet to that problem. It's basically a constant effort, a conscious effort from the business side. Yeah. So it's not forgetting it once you're done. Don't forget it. Come back, review the foundations, fundamentals, evolve. Yep. That's, that's a great insight. How about yourself, Michael? Did you come across these situations? Well, in my world, it's uh, mostly requirements and source code. And uh, uh, we don't have at the moment uh, uh, models that can uh, fit the whole source code base, for example, or the whole uh, requirement set uh, into the token window. So that kind of uh, saves uh, the uh, engineering part, the build part of uh, software toolchain from uh, getting into this uh, trouble with the uh, concept drift and other things. But uh, looking forward and uh, having discussions with different uh, clients and stakeholders, I see anticipation for uh, for something that uh, might actually get into this uh, risk, uh, specifically uh, disposable code concept. So uh, the, the idea is that your code base becomes... Uh, something that is uh, disposable, something that humans do not create anymore. And uh, it's actually interesting uh, risk to raise uh, because I haven't uh, uh, discussed with anyone that, that, okay, we might have our requirements and then we generate our code. And, and then as we progress forward, we, we get in this drift where we might end up in situation uh, similar to today's uh, technical depth, where you produce uh, more bugs uh, than features uh, per, per iteration. So this is uh, a nice, uh, nice, nice take out from this. So something to look forward in the future. Hundred percent, lots to look forward to in the future. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, we'll move on to our last question for today then, which is what are the key metrics and lead indicators you consider for driving efficiencies for AI-driven um, projects or processes? I think uh, I was thinking more after, you know, how how do you decide all those drift thresholds and what model metrics do you use in your projects? What accuracy metrics are you after? Have you got some alerting and monitoring? How, how's that handled? 
do you have automated alerts if if the accuracy metrics are gone down below a certain thresholds do you go about setting any thresholds or you keep it fairly open do you have any business requirements which are embedded as metrics within the model metrics and processes metrics so i was keen to hear some thoughts like we do some basic metrics what what are what's the model accuracy and then we've got some business layering on top of the model metrics like how many model outcomes we couldn't take because of stock issues as an example so we've got a business layering what's the threshold of uh, stocks as as an example so we do a combination of business metrics and the lead indicators for the models so we also do if if our recommendations are more skewed towards one kind of as an example one kind of product or one kind of category our models are they skewing towards one so do you put thresholds or do you have any metrics any example or any anything which sudhakar or michael you would want to share i could do an a Do you want to add something there, sorry? Well, I, I'll, I'll go. Um, so, Shweta, we are also using a very similar model accuracy as a metrics. Like you said, it is again context-based. We cannot, we obviously expect 100% accuracy, which is impractical. Uh, and we are also trying to see what is the level of accuracy that is acceptable and to the model could be usable. Right. For example, some of our models are 70% accuracy and that is still okay. Some of our models are 90% and that is also okay. okay. So we wanted to make sure that how many, what is the, what is the context um, on which these models are being used and what is the acceptable level of accuracy that we can potentially aim for. There's a lot of challenges in improving the accuracy. One is based on the data set that we are getting and the wide range of parameters that we need to consider. and like uh, as you would understand with an ml model we don't have a lot of control over the format or the unstructured data that we are getting so it could be anything from a legal document generated in brazil to a document generated in vietnam could be completely different and the context is different so we need to understand the vernacular meanings of each of that and how the model is able to interpret it and also make a contextual understanding of that particular data point right that's what we wanted to get out of it uh, so we we constantly look at the accuracy as the main indicative parameter for us to really show us whether the model is working or is it still viable or not and there are other parameters that we look at more in terms of the the return on investment mainly the resource utilization the effort required to maintain the overall training effort and the training time that we need the latency of the model and things like that uh, but it is it is a constant evolution and we need to really look at uh, the uh, the the thresholds for training and the availability of the new data right so we are we're getting a lot of new data but are those new data the correct uh, layer for us to retrain the model and then uh, evaluating the performance of the model based on the varied uh, business scenario yeah i think bringing in that contextual lens would 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 drive and define the metrics in most situation i just want to ask do you do any data input sanitization or any metrics around you know the data feeds which your models are consuming and do you have any thresholds where it says you know what the data is maybe 30% incorrect 
here is a red alert do something about it do you do those kind of metrics no unfortunately you know we do a lot of data cleansing data validation exercise and we also compare the data with the previous models and previous data sets to make sure that you know what what is the level of uh, drift that we are seeing in the data but we don't have a percentage in terms of monitoring yeah no fair enough i think the space is evolving and and these things are fairly new even we are experimenting a lot of things in terms of leading indicators metrics and how do we want our models to perform so yeah what kind of frameworks we want to put in what thresholds we want to put in what business rules we want to put in so yeah fairly new uh, the the other thing that we are also discovering in this space is uh the older models that we had implemented before we had a lot we had to think through a lot of parameters including these metrics but with the new models that is being available we don't even have to look at them because the models are coming pre trained on a lot of data that we think we should be really focusing on as an example like i said we have a vietnam contract and we had uh, an indonesian contract previously with all the large language model we need to really look at how these models are being interpreting each of those languages but now with the with an advanced large language models we don't even have to know it automatically comes with a pre-trained context on the model and sort of uh, understands these literary languages be able to map it so that could be uh, an easy path for us uh, to implement a new new available models to reap the benefits yeah 100%. Yeah, that, that's amazing insights, uh, Shweta and Sudhakar. Uh, from uh, my side, uh, it, uh, because uh, I don't have experience with custom trained models and large data sets, so it's only takeaway for me to look out for these things in the future uh, because uh, these models are coming up next and uh, uh, the uh accuracy of output will play a big role uh i can imagine specifically in cases such as uh, for example if you have your requirements uh, tree uh and you use model to shake down these requirements to find like duplicates or conflict so that would play a big role in the future but now uh that's uh, something to think about some definitely some exciting things on the horizon and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the future of AI. Um, before, yeah, thank you everyone so much. Thank you, Michael, Shweta and Sudika for joining today and sharing all your great questions and thoughts around the topic. Um, and as I said, like, it'll be super interesting to see what happens. Um, but thank you all so much again. I hope everyone enjoyed listening and thanks for sharing. Thanks.